You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome to this week's edition of the EPA podcast brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation. As always, I'm your host today, Victor Williams. Be sure to follow me on all social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you've seen my face over at the Philly pod. Be sure to subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation, BGN Radio on all podcast platforms, anywhere you get your shows, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Be sure to leave those reviews, rate five stars, each and every one of those reviews do help with the exposure of the show and help bring it to more eyes and ears of Eagles fans, football fans, NFL fans alike. Joining me as always, my co-host, you can find him on Twitter at half and half underscore TPL. Find his breakdown to all of his uh, YouTube stuff over there at his YouTube channel. He does phenomenal breakdowns. I think I saw a very good one on uh, Nicobe Dean. He threw clips out on Twitter. So if you liked what you saw from the rookie, you can get an in-depth look at that on Shane's channel. Shane, how's it going, man? 11 and one. It is, uh, it is, it is, it is surreal to talk about a team that is not only at the top of the NFC, but a team that could potentially clinch a playoff spot as soon as, uh, as this upcoming weekend. How's it feel, man? It feels pretty good. Um, I I feel like for a long time, I've sort of hedged my bets and said that, you know, I thought the Eagles were a really good team, but I wasn't like quite ready to call them Super Bowl favorites. They're Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. Like, the Eagles are Super Bowl favorites. You see the Chiefs lose this week. You see the Eagles just dominate a second straight opponent offensively in an entirely different way. And and you have to say this is the most complete offense in the NFL. And it feels good to say that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it looked that way, especially with the Eagles rushing for 360 plus yards against Green Bay and then turning right around and throwing <laughs> for 380 yards on the Titans. Complete is a good word you can say for how Philadelphia is is dissecting these teams, the most complete offense in the NFL. And to help us break down and talk about what the Eagles have done this season and the resurgence of Jalen Hurts is our good friend uh, Alex Vigderman. He is the lead research analyst over at Sports Info Solutions. So if you want a guy who knows every single number and statistic about how good the Eagles have been this season, he is the man to go ahead and talk to Alex. Appreciate you for uh, giving us a bit of your time to go, come up here and talk about the uh, eleven and one Philadelphia Eagles. How's it hanging, man? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I that's definitely overstating on the number of numbers that I can tell you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been so. As a person who grew up in the Philly area, it's been sort of surreal to see the notes about like, oh, the, the last time the team was this good, like it's it's Super Bowl or bust at this point. Uh, and it was a little bit weird, I guess, to see some numbers getting thrown around from like ESPN's projections saying that like mm-hmm. the Cowboys or the Eagles are like locks to basically make it, you know, one of those teams is, is getting to the Super Bowl, And that's, uh, that'll be, a, that would be a very stressful NFC championship if that's the case. Yeah, if, that, if that's if that's the way that the bracket shakes out, it'll be entertaining to say the least. That ESPN statistic, we already knew the Bills and the Chiefs and the Eagles were uh, were amongst the Super Bowl favorites. We Nobody really takes the Vikings seriously. The Giants have kind of fallen off. We'll get into them. Uh, but for ESPN to have the uh, the Cowboys atop that list after beating down a, a Colts team that I know the Eagles struggled with and Dallas put together a 33-point fourth quarter. Uh, but to have Dallas atop the list all of a sudden, I don't know if they factored OBJ into the mix. We'll, we'll talk about him later on. But um, absurd stuff from, from ESPN. We shouldn't be shocked to this point at the narratives that ESPN is trying to uh, throw around. So, Shane, I'll get your takeaways on, on the performance from Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown uh, in just a second. But, Alex, I wanted to get some information based on kind of what Sports Info Solutions is, what it is that you guys provide. How do you guys differ from other analytical tools such as NextGen Stats, and maybe some other platforms that that fans use to kind of break down the game of football. Sure. So uh, we actually started originally as a baseball company, uh, in fact, sort of co-founded by Bill James. And so we brought in the same ideas that he really wanted to espouse in baseball analysis, which is basically taking as many 
objective or nearly objective data points as we can, collecting them all via video. We have dozens of video scouts who are watching games and collecting you know, your basic play-by-play, -play, but also coverage schemes and blocking schemes and uh, timing data and what everyone's doing on the field, what routes are being run, all that kind of stuff, press coverage, that sort of thing. And trying to take that information and turn it into whether individual smaller metrics or also these sort of like larger uh, analysis tools like wins above replacement and that sort of thing, sort of building off of these individual components. And so we're doing very, you know, this will all sound very similar to like a company like Pro Football Focus. Um, mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot of the, the same things that they're doing in a lot of cases. Uh, the next gen stuff is, is all, you know, via tracking data. The, the way that we sort of fit into that is oftentimes there are a lot of elements that we collect that sort of accent on top of that. So things that the tracking data can't really capture the, the full nuance of we think that we're well positioned to sort of add on top of that. Yeah, that's definitely uh, some some people uh, kind of critique the way next gen kind of keeps track of stuff because some of the stats seem so superficial that how did they how did they come up with that number? I do data work uh, uh, for PFF, so I know how kind of how that how those um, metrics kind of go hand in hand with what it is uh, that you do. But so many great tools out there to help people understand the game of, of football even more. Sports Info Solutions is uh, uh is one of them so happy to uh speak with one of the men that is behind uh the uh the, the great things that they do over there to help us better grasp what it is that, that the nfl is as a whole so uh i guess now that we're done with the done with the nerd talk we talk about some uh some some eagles football <laughs> for what the for what the listeners i'm sure have been eager eager to hear the eagles improved to 11 and 1 following their 35 to 10 victory over the Tennessee Titans. We all knew that A.J. Brown was looking for revenge in this game, but we didn't maybe think that it would come in the form that it did, you know, to go along with the firing of uh, the Titans GM and, and everything that came with uh, what A.J. Brown did to, to that defense and more specifically what he did to Christian to Christian Fulton. So, Shane, your, your immediate takeaways as you're watching this offense unfold, watching the ball placement that Jalen Hurts had throughout the day, what A.J. Brown was able to do against his former team, what were your main takeaways as uh, as as you watch Gardner Minshew play out the rest of that fourth quarter? <laughs> yeah, eight receptions for 119 yards and two touchdowns, and then the GM that traded you gets fired two days later. Like, that's got to be sweet if you're A.J. Brown. <laughs> uh, I saw a stat that uh, Next Gen Stats put out that says A.J. Brown had has 183 yards over expectation on tight window throws this season, which is 60 more than the next closest player. Like, He's just been phenomenal this season uh, all year long. And, and so is Jalen Hurts. I, I'm in the middle of, a, of an all-22 film review for Jalen Hurts that I'm like three quarters of the way done recording. Uh, and, and I feel pretty confident saying this is the best game Jalen Hurts has played in his career. Uh, the, the amount of things the Titans threw at him, they threw blitzes, they, they rotated safeties, they were spinning coverages, and Hurts was able to just diagnose it all. And I, I watched the whole game and I think there was like one throw he made that was inaccurate on a corner route that was underthrown. And then there was like one decision other than that all game he made that I didn't like. It was the one where he got strip sacked. Um, and outside of that hurts played a nearly perfect game. And it's so um, the reason I, the Eagles are such a complete offense, like to go from what they did a week ago against the Packers rushing for 363 yards to then Jalen hurts throwing for 380 yards. I had a thread just to cap off the nerd talk here and, and get in on it because I missed the first part. <laughs> it never ends with you though. Just so to I should have never said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I put out that of the of the eight offenses that I would define as elite, which I defined as more than 0.07 EPA per play, uh, the Eagles are the only one that is in like the top or that that has is at the top of both rush and drop back EPA. They're first in rushing EPA, they're sixth in drop back EPA. And if you look at the difference, like the drop-off, if you want to force them to do what they're less effective at, what is the drop-off? None of the other offenses are even close. Like second place is the Cowboys, and they have like a 525% increase on the difference if you force them to do what they're less effective at than the Eagles. And so you look at these other teams, and you know I was saying all week on Twitter, you attack the Titans through the air. They've got the best run defense and everybody's like, or you just run the ball anyways, because you're good at it. The Eagles don't have to do that. They don't have to play to their strength. They can play to their opponent's weakness. 
because their offense doesn't have a weakness. It's elite running, it's elite passing, and you just take your matchups every week. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous come playoff time. Yeah, uh, surgical is probably the word I would use for what he was on Sunday. I remember the days dating back to last year where people were saying, if you force Jalen Hurts to, to beat teams with his arm, I don't know how successful the offense would be. Now it's arguably more lethal than the run game. If you're going to force Jalen Hurts to throw the ball, you get you get beat even worse than if, if Jalen Hurts were to take off with it and rush for over over 100 yards. And A.J. Brown has, has a lot to do with that. A.J. Brown in this game had more had 119 yards. I think all the Titans receivers put together had 174. So I know that's a, a running thing this season, keeping track of how many yards has in contrast to the whole, <laughs> the whole depth chart that's over in Tennessee. But Alex, when it comes to A.J. Brown and what uh, uh, a number one wide receiver can truly do for an offense, obviously Jalen looks more confident this year in comparison to throwing to Jalen Rager and some of the other guys that were here last year does does this and you can look you can compare it to what d hop has done in arizona and more specifically to what stefan diggs has done for josh allen how truly important is it for number one wide receiver for an organization to go and get one of those guys to help the uh the the early development of of a quarterback that's still fresh in the league yeah i think that the big deal i mean for brown specifically and the way that the eagles receiver room looked before he showed up on the team it really <laughs> opens up areas of the field and so like you've seen jalen hurts have a lot more success over the middle of the field for example particularly like the deep middle mm-hmm. um he's got on, on throws 10 plus yards downfield between the numbers he has literally double the yards per attempt that he did last year like from 10 yards per attempt to 20 yards per attempt. Um, So it just opens up areas of the field that you didn't have before. It allows, you know, if you're sort of extending the top end of your receiving group, it allows Devontae Smith to have better matchups. And we're honestly not that good at measuring, actually, the, the impact of those players, but you can see sort of in the, in the reverse direction, like the experience of watching the Bucks the last couple of years when you have like Evans and Godwin who have missed games and seeing how Brady's performance sort of declines as he loses weapons. And you can kind of capture how, how important it is to have not only just one guy, but just like the, the sort of trickle down effect of multiple guys uh, being out of the room, which sort of the inverse of, of adding a great player like that. Um, actually, this is sort of a, a random thing about the Brown touchdown uh, the the deep one that that like consecutive forty plus yard play thing. First of all, that was mm-hmm. that was awesome to have. The, I mean, understanding that the first touchdown was not uh, counted, but interestingly, the last time that 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 happened in the in the real world, where there were actually two consecutive touchdowns, forty uh, plus yards in like this in consecutive offensive plays that was mm-hmm. against the Eagles with Stefan Diggs and the Vikings a few years oh, ago man. where he had consecutive <laughs> plays 40 plus yard touchdowns but those counted those were different drives um so yeah it's it's been pretty awesome to have that big playability and also when you have a player like Brown who has that contested catch ability which you were talking about earlier like Jalen Hurts is not throwing into a lot of tight windows in general He's mm-hmm. got pretty open receivers a lot of the time, but he understands that he can throw into a tight window with Brown and he can make those, those tough throws and trust Brown to make that play. And that trust is pretty important. Like that's the thing. If we're talking about playing against the giants, like Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily have that. Uh, that's why like the Kenny Galladay thing hasn't really worked out. Cause mm-hmm. you need, you know, that, that he's a contested catch guy, but if the quarterback doesn't trust it and doesn't like see the opportunity to throw it, even if he can't, see the player wide open like that's that limits your ability as an offense yeah aj aj brown's late hands too kind of kind of helps out if the defender doesn't see what your hands are doing until the ball gets there it's pretty hard to defend and sirianni and steichen curate that offense to predicate on the run after catch as well so they've uh, gotten good with doing that it's funny you bring up the digs because i remember Razul getting burned like ridiculous on on those plays when back when Razul like before his resurgence with the packers and us as Eagles fans were dissecting everything he was doing. And I remember Diggs torching him uh, for, for that. So it's funny that you uh, bring that up. Uh, Shane, you, you're, we've been talking a lot about these tight ends. Jack Stahl, three catches, 41 yards. And Calcaterra had a catch for 19 yards. I know you wanted to ask Alex uh, about, about the tight ends and the effects that Jalen Hurts is suffering or maybe not suffering now <laughs> since, since Quez Watkins has decided to, to uh, get, get involved 
in the offense. Were you happy, Shane, with what you saw from these tight ends, or are you just counting down the minutes until Dallas Goddard returns to the lineup? <laughs> I'm, I'm still counting down the minutes until uh, he gets back. Uh, the drop-off is still huge, but there were some nice plays. I mean, they, they threw a four verticals route. It was kind of a bender over the middle to Jack Stoll against cover two, and he he was where he should have been, and Hurts threw the ball with confidence he was going to be there. And I mean, he almost fell down making the catch, but it, he he was where he was supposed to be. And <laughs> the the one to Grant Calcaterra, I just I just was looking at that play. But this is another one like the the guys are they're getting where they're supposed to be, and they're not doing it with the athleticism that Goddard does or the threat after the catch. But um, the the Quez Watkins stepping up and and some other things that the Eagles have done, like they faltered a little bit early on. You know, they had the 17 points against the the Colts and they struggled against the commanders, but the offense has started to hit its stride again. And so I think that's just going to make them that much more dangerous once Goddard does come back. Yeah, I think the the Watkins thing is probably bigger than than the tight ends. I, I think we have a reasonable understanding of of what those guys are going to be able to accomplish. But Watkins being able to show a little bit more diversity in the kinds of routes he can run, where he's lining up, lining up more in the slot, uh, running those shorter routes, playing a little bit more over the middle of the field. Like we're used to seeing him make those sort of like splashy plays downfield, but being able to to be a little bit more flexible and how he gets used and, and still having success has been pretty great. And yeah, the, the tight ends feel, and this is kind of a, a dated reference, but I'm picturing like the Kevin boss on the giants. So we're just like a guy who's just oh, like man. running over the middle, running seam routes. <laughs> He'll catch some passes every once in a while. And like, if, if you decide to build the offense around him, like that's probably more on you than anything. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of optimism about the tight ends without Goddard, <laughs> but I don't think we need, I don't like, that's not important. The, the offense has become this like really a, a two person funnel where it's basically like it's Brown and Smith and a little bit of other guys, but those two, those two top end guys can carry the offense. Yeah, that's why. But when Goddard was lost, uh, Shane and I talked a lot about how how the offense would suffer schematically, maybe not from a production standpoint, but schematically, they were definitely going to, going to have to mix some things up. Uh, luckily, we have two top-end pass catchers that can kind of mask those tight end shortcomings. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, both with over 100 yards receiving each for the first time since 2013. The Nick Foles uh, seven-touchdown game when Riley Cooper and uh, and Deshaun Jackson did it. So it's been it's been a little bit since we had a let well one receiver, let alone two, that can get a hundred yards in a game. So that is uh, exciting to see as well. Uh, Shane, we we obviously didn't matter in this game, but a lot of penalties, a lot of penalties. It was false starts galore. I feel like there was one called on every single offensive lineman, some tight ends. Uh, uh, at some point, we don't want to get to the point where these things cost us games in the uh in the postseason. What was kind of your takeaways from the uh from the? I thought it was an absurd amount. Of, of penalties that happen, especially in the, uh, in the first half. Luckily there's, they're so good on offense that they can overcome it. Uh, but what do you think was the uh, situation going on there? Yeah. I kept having to remind myself that this wasn't a road game because you don't normally see that at home. <laughs> uh, the best that I can come up with. And I don't know. I, I think that the Eagles started to try to use hard counts a little bit just to try to get the Titans to tip their safety rotations. Cause they were, like I said, they were spinning coverages a lot. That's not something the Eagles usually do, and it was not going well. And they kind of just cut it out in the second half. So that's the only thing I can come up with that makes sense, why there were so many false starts in the first half. Because other than that, it really doesn't make sense. But it's not something I'm, I spoke about it on the post-game show. It's not something I'm really concerned about because it's happened one game, well, really one half of 12 games. So it's not like it's been a recurring thing. Uh, but it's something to monitor. I, I don't think it's you're going to see that become a big issue, though. Yeah, I felt like uh, the offensive line was maybe trying to be like the more aggressive side because they know how the Titans defensive line was. So I felt like they were maybe trying to be aggressive. 12 penalties uh, for 80 yards total. So uh, I just made a note of that because it's not definitely not like the offensive line to uh, to to act like that and jump at every every single motion that's happening on on the defense. Alex, Shane and I talked a lot about Derrick Henry coming into this game because we were like A.J. Dillon and Damian Pierce are running all over this defense. So what is going to happen when the when the NFL leader in broken tackles and the guy who was second in the league in yards after contact is going to come in here? Luckily, we had Jordan Davis back. I think he played under 10 snaps, though, if I, if I, if I remember. I think he had six snaps, if I remember correctly. Uh, Derrick Henry, 11, 11 carries for just 30 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. We knew that they were going to get away from the run 
once they got down. But even in the beginning, he wasn't getting any headway. Uh, how how uh, how encouraged were you to see that the Eagles defensive line was able to keep one of the most dangerous running backs in the league at that? Yeah, encouraged. Uh, I will say that Henry has in the last couple of weeks had kind of a, a downturn as the season has gone mm, on. And yeah, well, <laughs> and but also he the way that he plays, it's like a uh, it reminds me of, of Adrian Peterson also, where it's like a lot of small runs and then he'll break off a big one. And then over the course of the game, you get those like bigger chunks and chunks. So like you're very often seeing a Derrick Henry game in which he has like 12 carries for 28 yards in the first half or something like that. And then he ends up with 150 at the end of the game. And the advantage to the way that that game worked out is that he got taken out of the game and he wasn't sort of allowed the opportunity to, to make those bigger chunk runs at the end of the game. And yeah, I think is, uh, uh, my mistake, I was looking, I yeah. was looking at the number here. Derek Henry's notoriously like wears down defenses, like his yards per carry goes up increasingly as the game goes on. So to your point, uh, yeah, the yards per carry are drastically higher in the fourth quarter than they are in the first. So. Yeah. And, and having, you know, having added the guys that they have on the defensive line in the last couple weeks and a couple weeks into their tenure on the team helps it gives you more rotations as well so that guys don't get as, as tired by the end of the game if you were running into that situation where Henry's going to beat you up at the end. But I think the combination of him not breaking off big runs at the beginning and then the team sort of taking him out of the game by the second half makes for a lot easier time. Yeah, but we we Shane and I were always talking about how, how like we, we'd much rather have Ryan Tannehill throw to like Tra- Traylon Burks who made a nice catch um, thankfully, he's okay after the, after that wild hit he took from 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 Marcus Epps. But we would much rather deal with Ryan Tannehill than um than Derrick Henry. Uh, Shane, your your thoughts on Derrick Henry as well as the pass rush? Josh Sweat, two sacks. Hargrave, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Hassan Reddick, each had one as well. The defensive effort I, I feel like has been better uh, um as as the weeks have gone on. Gannon gets a lot of flack. And I can't remember Shane which side you're on of the of the Gannon hate the hate train. I, I can't remember if you're the supporter or 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 not of what Gannon is doing. But he has his defense um, getting to the quarterback, and for a team that was third to last in sacks last season, it's definitely a welcome sight to see them get after the quarterback. How happy were you with their performance against uh, uh, King Henry? In addition to the pass rush and getting after Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, anybody that's crying out still to fire Jonathan Gannon. Just lives yeah, you're the a, supporter. Just lives in a way. fantasy land where they want to have two safeties over the top, but also have eight in the box and blitz every play, but double cover everyone. Like if you could put 18 defenders on the field, that defense would work, but you can't. I think Gannon's done a fantastic job this season. Um, and, and, you know, stifling Derrick Henry, you force the Titans into passing situations. And then once the Eagles have you in a passing situation, good luck. Like, how, how are you blocking? Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Javon Hargrave, and Fletcher Cox. That that's their third down pass rush rotation, and it just dominated. Like there were multiple times that three guys were meeting at the quarterback instantly. And I don't know how you block that. Like Josh Sweat is so good as a pass rusher. He's so underrated. Like some of the moves that he put on tape this week are just incredible. But they pressure, they get 19 pressures on Ryan Tannehill, six sacks. Hassan Reddick had eight pressures in this game. Like Good luck. That that pass rush, that third down pass rush rotation, uh, that should be outlawed by the NFL in the name of player safety. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Gannon's unit, uh, maybe we should probably back off. So turnover, dif- uh, turnover differential, plus 13, that's first in the league. They only allow 178.5 passing yards per game, that's first in the league. They allow 296.4 total yards per game, that's second. They have 40, am I reading this right, 42 sacks? Is that right? Yeah. There's no way they, they have 42 Dang, I was like, yo, they they amplified that number. That's second in the league, and they allow 18.8 points per game, which is tied for seventh. So, so the man deserves some credit, but uh, uh he's probably he's probably going to be lost next offseason along with Shane Steichen to probably to many people's joy. Uh, but Bagannon has done a fine job with that defensive unit this season. Uh, the one the one last thing I wanted to hit on before we before we go to break and talk about the Giants is the uh, the special teams. We've been screaming day in and day out, especially at the trade deadline that we wanted to bring in a guy that can uh, maybe like fair catch upon, like just don't create negative plays. Like maybe you can at least let it go out of bounds. Like we don't want negative plays. We want neutral plays. And the special teams actually created positive plays on Sunday. Britton Covey had three punt returns of 20 plus yards. I believe he had 105 yards uh, in the game total from punt returns. Christian Ellis made a nice tackle. 
uh, on special teams as well. So I, I heard that Sirianni was was in the special teams meetings with Michael Clay. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But whatever they did that morning, whatever they did during the week, they need to do it uh, moving forward. Alex, I don't know how much of a Britton Covey fan you are because we were screaming for him in training camp. And then now the more we watch it, we're like, Devin Allen, you got to sign somebody. You got to bring Sproles out of retirement. You got to figure it out. You got to do something. Were you impressed with what you saw from the uh, special teams unit on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, Covey definitely uh, flashed in a way that that he's not uh, <laughs> in the, the rest of the season. And, you know, special teams is tough because you're often, you're trying to get these like punctuated plays, right? You're not often making big returns. I think people get, people think of big return touchdowns and Deshaun Jackson and whatever, but like most of the time it's not that. It's most of the time it's, making good decisions about fair catches. It's not making negative plays, not trying to make too much out of it. And so uh, just getting a couple of those plays, they happen to occur in the same game. If they had occurred a little bit more smattered across the weeks, I think we'd feel a little bit, uh, a little bit better about him, but it's, it's nice to see that that's at least like a thing he's capable of. Yeah. I think, I think uh, him doing, (laughs) at least showing that he can return kicks. I, I heard, uh, that the punter outkicked his coverage. Some people were telling me that, but hey, anytime you can get some returns, um, you can uh, you can d- d- definitely uh, you know at least write home about that and be and be happy about it. Shane, when you watch the special teams, <laughs> were you like, oh my goodness, something's happening, or were you just like, this is just a flash in the pan? We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, as I've often said on this podcast, the Eagles' special teams unit is elite. Yeah, you should never doubt Michael Clay or Britton Covey. And definitely don't go listen to our old episodes or Twitter search me on that. Because um, I've always said that, I promise. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's nice to see the Eagles, like, that was a thing that we were worried about. And I'm not not worried about it now because of one game. Uh, it was nice to get punt returns. But to be honest, like, that's the least thing. I'm, I'm still more concerned about negative plays. You know, we've seen... We've seen muffs on punts. We've seen field goals get blocked and almost get blocked. We've seen the kick coverage. Like that's the bigger thing for me. The Eagles' offense is so good that the difference in a five and a twenty-yard punt return is not that big for me. Uh, so it was nice to see, and I'm happy that we saw it. I hope it continues. But really, the biggest thing to me still with special teams is just avoiding those negative plays, giving up fake punts. Those things are are such big swings in games. Yeah, it's uh, the, the it's sort of. I mean, the kicker is the most sort of visual or visible part of this, right? You you don't want to know. You don't want to think about the kicker. You want him to just walk up, hit a kick, go away. And if you're thinking too much about your kicker or, or your punter, then things are going bad. And so the, the returners are sort of same kind of thing. Like as long as you're not yelling at somebody, then you're doing an okay job. And sometimes, yeah, a lot of fair catches can fuel not great but if 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 the fair catch is the difference between that and uh you know fumbling something or or making uh negative yards and or getting penalties and that sort of thing like that's avoiding big negative plays is the name of the game especially when you're doing well enough on the offensive and defensive side of the ball as the eagles are yeah uh, let me let me alex let me get your take on one other thing so nicobe dean uh, drafted in the third round, was thought maybe to be a first-round pick before he fell. Uh, he comes into this game for an injured Kazir White. Now, he'd only played two defensive snaps, and I think they were all the way back in week one. He played 15 snaps in this game, and he ends up leading the team in tackles with six. Uh, he had a tackle for loss. And again, he only played two defensive snaps prior to this week, which maybe there's something to that. Last week, Reed Blankenship had only played two snaps, and then he comes in and he picks off Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, maybe the Eagles just need to go scour the NFL waiver wires for someone that's only played two defensive snaps and just make this a weekly thing. But uh, what did you think of Nicobe Dean's performance in this game? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the it'll be inter- it'll be exciting to see if him and and Jordan Davis can sort of uh, pair up over the the back end of the season. I think it was great to see that he made an impact immediately. Um, I think that it's probably not something that you should expect. Certainly the, the sort of like density of, of how many plays he made and the, the number of snaps he had, but I'm glad to see that he was able to come in and, and do something sort of cold in the same way that Blankenship was. Uh, and you almost expect the inverse of that, right? When a guy's coming in, they haven't had a lot of experience. You expect them to not necessarily, you know, we're not scheming with an understanding of his skill set and, and that kind of thing. So being able to, 
coming in and make some tackles and, and be up on the line of scrimmage and stuff like that is really encouraging. And, you know, hopefully as, as the season goes on, we'll see him more and, and, you know, ideally not in the context of injuries. Yeah. I, I put out an all 22 video of, of kind of his snaps. And one of the things that stuck out to me is his, his quick play recognition. He's such a cerebral, cerebral player. Like he triggers downhill quick against the run. His, his rally out to the flat when he was a quarter flat defender on, I think it was his second snap. That pass play was really good. Uh, and, and the struggles that you would expect from him at his size and things that we talked about prior to the draft, those are there too. There were several times that a defender gets a hand on him and it's over, uh, but cause he can't deconstruct those blocks and get off of them. But if you keep him clean, he triggers downhill so fast uh, he had his tackle for loss came when it was against backups, but Indomitian Sue was still in there and, he ate that double team and Dean just meets the running back basically at the mesh point. And it was a beautiful play. Uh, it, it harkens back to Georgia when he was, you know, he was behind Jordan Davis who kept him clean so he could make plays. So that's a exciting thing to see going forward. I've seen a lot of people saying that he needs to get more playing time. I wouldn't make a change right now. Like Kazir White's been good and Kazir White's better against the run probably than Dean is right now, but it gives you a lot of hope for, the future, especially with White and Edwards both on expiring contracts, and it gives you hope of depth right now that if one of these guys goes down, down the stretch in the playoffs, you have a guy that could step in and make an impact. Yeah, I think that both uh, him and Blankenship getting these opportunities is going to be big as you get to the to the end of the season because that extra week of the season, the what we hope to be a long playoff run, like there's going to be attrition. There's going to be guys who are, who are uh, getting out with getting banged up, but also just being able to give guys rest and that sort of thing. And having, having that depth is going to be pretty important. I would expect. All right. Well, is there anything else on the Titans game that sticks out that we didn't mention that you want to get out there before we throw to a break? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, that is going to about wrap up our talk here about the Eagles game against the Titans. We're going to throw to a quick break and then we will be right back to talk New York Giants. Back after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back here on the EPA podcast. We just finished breaking down the Eagles' victory over the Titans. Now we're going to get into a preview of the upcoming matchup at the Meadowlands against the New York Giants. With a playoff berth on the line, the Eagles can clinch a playoff spot with a win over the Giants or various other scenarios that just involve losses of other teams. I think that's a foregone conclusion, but uh, this is an important game for the Eagles to try to maintain their edge for the one seed. It's also a very important game for the Giants who are battling for a wild card spot. Uh, Alex, we saw the Giants start out the year really strong. Uh, you get the new coach, you get the bump, all of those things. They've really hit a lull over the last five weeks. They are 1-3-1 one, and one in their last five games with that lone win coming over the Texans. As I've seen, as I've kind of watched the Giants, the biggest thing that has stood out to me is the decline of their running game. Uh, in, in those non-Texans games, so the, the three losses and the tie, Saquon Barkley has rushed for 53, 22, 39, and 63 yards. And I don't think it's all been on Saquon. Like Their offensive line has been banged up and just kind of generally bad. But uh, what have you seen from this Giants offense that has led to their tailspin over the last few weeks? 
yeah, I think the Saquon thing is really relevant. Like even including the big game against the Texans, which, you know, everybody has a big game against the Texans, but he has, I think, four total broken and missed tackles according to SIS charting in the last four weeks. And he was, uh, his like rate of breaking and missing tackles was like three times that in the, the rest of the weeks prior. So he's really lost some of that the, the wiggle that he had at the beginning of the year. Um, actually, the offensive line, in terms of our metrics, has been pretty good uh, on a per-play basis over the last month, despite uh, Barkley. So it from our perspective, statistically, it actually has been a little bit more of, of Barkley's decline and less of the offensive line. But I think, yeah, that's when your offense is so dependent on the run, including Daniel Jones running, you need to be able to be successful in that because running in general is a worse proposition than passing. So if you're going to try and build your whole offense out of that, then you need to really be successful in it. I mean, we just played the Titans who have a kind of similar uh, profile where they really need to be successful running the ball to succeed as an offense overall. Yeah. There's only eight teams in the NFL with a positive rushing EPA and the giants are not one of those. They're 19th in rushing EPA over their last five games, 17th, in drop back EPA. I, I'm surprised to hear you say that about the, the offensive line. Um, is that purely in run blocking or how have yeah. you guys graded them in pass protection as well? I guess I, I've looked at them more in terms of pass protection and I guess I just made that equivalent to being bad in run blocking as well. Yeah. So it's that there's definitely an imbalance there from, from their perspective. Uh, we do a, a couple of things in terms of, of the way that we evaluate offensive line. One of the primary ones is measuring blown blocks, which is basically being, an offensive lineman being physically beaten. So not like a scheme sack type thing, but a guy being beaten one-on-one basically uh, within the first few seconds of the play. And in pass blocking, the Giants are 28th in blown block rate. Uh, and incidentally, the Eagles are first in forcing blown blocks. So that's definitely going to be an advantage. The, the pass rush that had such a field day last week is very likely to have a field day this week. Um, but in the run blocking, they're, they've been pretty good uh, over the course of the year and, and it had, have been even despite Saquon's decline, have still been okay in that regard uh, in the last month. Okay, okay. Yeah, that 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 tracks a little bit with kind of what I was thinking as well. I, I feel like Evan Neal has struggled at, at right tackle for them this season. Uh, PFF has him charted with allowing 16 pressures. Meanwhile, their right guard, uh, Mark Glowinski, has 27 pressures allowed. Center John Feliciano has not been a lot better. And then you look at their left guard, at uh, Joshua Nzudu, he's questionable with a neck injury. Shane Lemieux, their backup, is also questionable. So just a banged up. Honestly, the only part of their offensive line I feel great about is their left tackle, Andrew Thomas. Uh, It seems like if the Eagles can stop their run, which everybody but the Texans in the last month has stopped the running game, like you mentioned, I think the Eagles' pass rush could be designed to tee off in this game. Yeah, and I think that if – the last couple games are any indication the the run defense is sort of figuring itself out. And if the offense puts enough pressure on, like with the Titans game, then I think the giants will get out of their sort of design relatively early. And then that's going to put, you know, the more, the more you can force Daniel Jones to, to play, to beat you, the better opportunity you're going to have. Yeah. And it also helps that their, their wide receiver core is so banged up. Sterling Shepard uh, is on IR. Colin Johnson's on IR. Wondell Robinson had largely disappointed, and then he started to have a breakout game, and then I think it was a torn ACL. I can't remember now, but he's on IR. So uh, they obviously still have Darius Slayton, but their second leading wide receiver is Richie James, who has 300 career yard or 300 yards this season. Uh, that has him within 100 yards of breaking a career high. So it's very thin for them uh, with their receiving core and. One of the things I've noticed from them is they, they've they gone to a heavy rate of two running back personnel. They're getting two running backs on the field on 38% of their snaps so far this season. And uh, how much of that is just because their wide receivers aren't very good and so banged up? And how much of that is out of Dayball trying to design things in the run game that will work for Daniel Jones? Yeah, I think I think that, and honestly, they they use it a lot in terms of pass protection as well. They mm-hmm. they're one of the leaders in terms of having six and seven man protections, which is going to be relevant this week. Uh, yeah, I think that the receiving core is a big part of it, uh, and not having the kinds of weapons that you really want to be thrown out there. And over the last month, 
Darius Slayton has been so much of a go-to guy, like nearly half of the team's air yards have gone to him. Um, in terms of the way that that we'll actually have to defend that, the unfortunate thing is he plays from the slot a good percentage of the time. And so our advantages on the outside are not necessarily going to be as uh, successful against a guy who's running around the slot. And the Eagles are not likely to be sending, you know, Darius Slay following him or anything like that. So Jones throws a lot over the middle of the field. Um, so it, the, the way that they play their offense and on the passing game is a little bit neutralizing the advantages that the Eagles would have, but that's also not that important when the offense isn't that great in general. Yeah. And one of the things you've seen with Brian Dable is just the link. I mean, and not that you shouldn't do this. You should do everything you can to make life simple for your quarterback to simplify everything, but they made a living on that at the beginning of the season and it started to catch up with them. But gimmicky has been thrown around about the Eagles offense, which isn't true. But if you wanted to point to an offense and say it's a little gimmicky, it's trying to prop up that quarterback. I think you could look at the Giants who, you know, they go up tempo uh, 23% of the time. It's second highest rate in the league. They they run a ton of play action, 22% of their plays. 16% of their plays are RPOs. They're designing rollouts on 14% of their snaps. Like all of these are top five marks in the league. And so they're going to go up tempo. They're going to roll the pocket. They're going to try to manipulate defenders with play action. Um, They're not afraid to run into stacked boxes, partially out of necessity with the receiving core, like we've talked about. So uh, to me, it's going to be very important, especially like the Eagles linebackers are disciplined in this game uh, and are able to hit their landmarks, things like that, not get sucked into the play action, uh, maintain rush lanes on rollouts, things like that. That's going to be key for me with the Eagles defense. Yeah, getting sucked into the play action is particularly relevant for an offense that's throwing as as commonly over the middle of the field as the Giants are. So making sure that you're not leaving those lanes open in the middle of the field just in that you know 10 to 20 yard range is going to be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about the passing game and how they they put Slayton in the slot a lot. Um, are they running primarily like vertical routes with him? Are they using him over the middle? Where, where's kind of his, his heat map, I guess. So you would say, where does Jones like to find him? Yeah. I mean, he's, like I said, he's basically had nearly half of the team's air yards in the last month. So they are, it's not like what you think of when you think of a slot receiver, like they are running him downfield a decent amount. So uh, they, they, he will test the safeties. You will see him, run those seam routes downfield. It's not just like a bunch of, of, you know, flat routes and, and drags and stuff. All right. Well, uh, anything else that you want to point out on the giants offense before we turn the page and talk about a little bit about their defense. No, let's talk about the, the good matchup for us. Yeah. A great matchup. Uh, per football outsiders, the giants defense is ranked 28th in overall DVOA. They're 28th in passing DVOA and 27th in rushing DVOA. This is a team that you can run on, you can pass on, you can do about whatever you want to uh, against them. If you're if you're Shane Steichen, Alex, how are you going to game plan for this? You going to approach with a pass heavy script or run heavy script? How would you try to exploit mismatches here? I think that I probably lean towards the running game. Uh, the Eagles' offensive line has the third fewest blown blocks per play in the running game. That. Giants, the 28th fewest forced. So that's like a really good matchup in terms of just having solid chunk yardage pretty consistently. And that also is going to put pressure on, on the Giants. Like if you're, if you're able to get that early, that's, that just, you know, snowballs as we've seen with, with this offense, you know, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so if you can get the running game going early, uh, which the Giants, I feel like it's funny that they don't, force blown blocks because I feel like the only strength of their defense is Dexter Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams who are both having really good years on the interior but it just hasn't really mattered uh you know they've combined for 69 pressures nine sacks 36 run stops they were very highly graded by PFF 91.4 and 83.5 respectively and yet their their pass rush isn't good and their run defense isn't good does this come down to linebacker play? What What is it that causes the Giants run defense to be so bad uh, when they have two such good defenders in the or on the line? Yeah, I, th- I think that also 
when we're talking about uh, blown blocks like that, some of that is schematic. Although, like I said, in terms of the way that it's charted, we make sure that that a guy who is entirely unblocked uh, won't be charted as, as blowing a block in that scenario. That's potentially in terms of of the um, the way that the quarterback, you know, calls his protections and stuff like that. But uh, in the run game, also the what the kinds of games that the defensive line is running and the kinds of schemes you're trying to get players in position where you're uh, lining up players to get the the offensive line out of their comfort zone, and they're not necessarily doing as much of that. Uh, the one thing that they are doing a lot of, actually, that kind of contributes to the, to the overall defensive success without having individual performance is that they stack the box a lot. They stack the box like a third of the time. Um, and that will also contribute to the way that the Eagles might attack them in the passing game. Uh, so they're doing a lot of stacked boxes combined with a lot of man coverage, a lot of single high safety. And so th- there is potentially an opportunity to make plays downfield in the passing game. Yeah, they're, they're one high shell on 64% of their snaps. Uh, their 43% man coverage rate is the highest in the NFL. And you know they've got Wink Martindale, who just wants to blitz all day, blitz on 41% of their snaps, which is the highest in the NFL, but they only have nine sacks from those blitzes this season. So as I watch them, I feel like they like to blitz a lot, but they're just not very good at it. And I do think it's going to open up opportunities. You know, We know how Jalen Hurts loves to get deep to AJ Brown. Anytime it's one-on-one, you know, single high safety, whatever, he's going to like to take those shots. And, you know, we saw that against the Titans, maybe even in some situations where there were other guys that he could have thrown the ball to that were more sure, but he's going to put the ball up and let Brown try to make plays. I feel like this could be a big game again for AJ Brown. Yeah, I think, I think that's reasonable. And, and, you know, not having James Bradbury on the other side of the ball helps a lot. Uh, I think that that there's going to be some opportunities on, on on those deep balls down the field, and the Giants are not really they're typically not scheming to to defend those kind of throws. And one of the the Achilles heel, I think, for the Eagles' offense early in the season was just how poor they were against the blitz. You know, we saw it all the way back in Week One, the amount of pressure that the Lions were able to get on Hertz, and it just didn't seem like they had answers to the blitz before the bye and. Since the bye, I've been impressed by what they've done against the Blitz. Against the Titans, I thought even Miles Sanders was really good in pass protection. We saw Jalen Hurts taking some checkdowns. And so uh, the Titans, I believe, are the second most Blitz-happy team. Now they've got the Giants, who are the most Blitz-happy. If the Eagles didn't know how to beat the Blitz before this stretch, they will know when it's all over. Yeah, and, and Hurts has been one of the the foibles that Hertz has had this year is performance under pressure. And that's not necessarily something that typically you'd expect for a quarterback like him um, being able to, to scramble. We've seen him extend plays and, and get not necessarily, I mean, I, the one thing that he has done this year better than I think he's done in the past is when he is scrambling and, and, and getting outside the pocket, he's not necessarily trying to force things too much downfield. He's going to take a couple yards on a scramble and that's going to be a fine result. But in general, his performance in terms of EPA per play under pressure has been one of the bigger bugaboos and, and has actually been worse this year than in past years, um, which is a little bit odd considering what you see play to play and, and the kind of decision-making he's making in general. But it also sort of underscores the importance of keeping him clean, getting the ball out quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So against the stacked boxes, uh, you would presume the middle of the field is not going to be the most available. Um, I would assume this won't be a very heavy RPO game for the Eagles. Those are hard to do uh, with that cluttered area in the middle of the field. This feels to me like a attack the boundaries. Uh, use your use AJ Brown. We know they like Brown on the vertical balls. Devonte Smith and Hertz have such good timing on those curl routes, those deep comeback routes. Um, to me, I, that's how I would try to attack this Giants offense, or excuse me, this Giants defense. Yeah, and and we saw, you know, on the on the big touchdown to Brown, we saw the double move work. I think that that kind of thing, you know, they're they're not using it a ton typically, but those are if you're going to try and find big plays, especially against man coverage, uh, especially with a single high safety, like that's. Those are the kinds of routes that I would expect them to run maybe a little bit more than they do typically. All right. Well, uh, Alex, that's about all the notes I have on the defense. Do you have anything else that you wanted to point out before we get into game predictions? No, let's, let's talk about another win. 
All right. So you said it. You said it. Let's talk about another win. What do you how do you see this game playing out? Give me a score prediction. Uh how much are the Eagles gonna win by as they move to twelve and one? So I think, I mean, I guess the big question is, are we going to see more of the the last game or the game before? I tend to think that it'll actually be a little bit more balanced. Um, I think that the Giants don't present quite as extreme a proposition as the the two previous opponents in terms of the how good they are uh, defensively. And to your point earlier, trying to, to emphasize what they do poorly as opposed to what we do particularly well. I, so... I think getting 30 points is a pretty reasonable expectation. And I think that the giants are going to have some trouble with the pass rush. So I'm feeling something in the like 31 16 type range where the giants might be able to move the ball a little bit, but kind of get stuck and and get some sacks and and that sort of thing and and get stuck for field goals. Yeah, I can see that the the only thing, the biggest I think concern for the Eagles defensively is just going to be Daniel Jones athletic ability. If when the Titans moved the ball, it felt like it was on the back of just some scrambles by uh, Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, it's a weak offensive line matchup in terms of pass protection. The pass rush is going to be ready to tee off. And Daniel Jones is a lot more mobile than Ryan Tannehill is. So I think that could be, you know, the one place where maybe the Giants can get some big plays would be with his rushing ability, obviously have the play. I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago where Daniel Jones broke the long run and then tripped. Uh, over the span of like 20 yards, but that one was a classic. Um, I, I'm gonna. I think the Eagles win this one pretty easily. They're seven point favorites. I think that's that's should be pretty easy. Now it is a division game, and weird things happen in division games. And the Giants are extremely well coached. Like they will have they will have every edge their coaching can give them, but the talent on the roster is just not there. And so I'll take the Eagles here, uh, 35 to. I was gonna say 10, but that was last week. We'll say 35 13. I think the Eagles roll in this one. We probably see some backups late in the fourth quarter again. I think, yeah, I think that the, your point about Daniel Jones is a good one and, and the mobility uh, Tannehill, wasn't he like a receiver at some point in college? So like he has, he has some athleticism. It's not the same kind of athleticism that, that Jones has certainly at, at, at the current point in both of their careers and the way that their offenses use them. So maybe we'll see a little bit, not necessarily like spies for Jones, but a little bit more zone, um, just to keep guys facing the quarterback and, and alert to the possibility of him running around there. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I hadn't thought about the zone aspect of it, but it could make sense if you're not going to contain Rush to make sure you're keeping an eye on Jones. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, Well, Alex, thank you for joining us uh, to break down the game, talk a little bit about uh, sports info solutions stuff. It's great data out there that certainly helps us out a lot as we put together information for this podcast. So, uh, and thank you to everyone who joined us today, whether you're watching on YouTube, you're listening on Apple or wherever you get podcasts later. Uh, Thank you for following along with us. Be sure you give us five-star rating and reviews, hit that subscribe button. So you don't miss the next episode and we will be back next Wednesday. Victor will be back joining me and we will break down a hopeful Eagles victory over the giants and we'll get ready, get you ready for the upcoming game after that. So thank you for joining us for the EPA podcast. We will see you guys next time. Go Birds.